I'm going to teach you about something that is so important. The disciples, when they saw Jesus praying, they, they didn't ask him to teach him how to do miracles or how to prophesy or even how to preach. What they asked was, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And I want to tell you what prayer is. Prayer is communication with God about stuff. That's the theological terminology for it. It's, it's communication. It's going to God about things and interacting with him. This is the essence of Christianity. This is why you came on Friday. This is what, the, it's not religious ritual or formalism. You know, these things have their place, tradition and so forth, you know, creates rhythm and some predictability and things. But, and, and we're to act, there's a distinction between the, the, the traditions of, of the elders, like things that were passed down, the ancient paths and the quality guidance that we get from the word. But that's distinguished even by Jesus. He said the traditions of men choke the word and they make it of no effect. It, it, so, so we don't want to, we're admonished not to just ritualize our Christian faith. We're actually called into relationship. I've ritualized my marriage where you just, we're going, we're just, you know, chauffeurs and we're roommates and we're just bill payers and we're just meal creators and ch child disciplinarians. And then it's like, wait a minute, when we got into this, it was romantic. And it's like, when I became a Christian, it was because I was so empty and dead in my sins and lost, and I heard from wide awake believers that you, it's possible to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this is what stood out to me was, it's like these people didn't just know about Jesus, they, said, they talked like, uh, personally like they knew him. And they, by faith, no, they never saw him. They loved him, and it was real for them. And it wasn't like, did you drink the Kool-Aid, or is this cultic, or is this weird? And, I, and, I, and I, you know, it, there, there are two conclusions. Either they're mighty right or they're mighty wrong. And I've obviously stayed with this now. I'm in my 50th year of this. And I, I'm telling you, it's because of the grace of God and the mercy of God and the appeal that's so laid out here. I mean, you guys, uh, Pastor Wally Hickey from Happy Church in Denver, Colorado, married to Marilyn Hickey. He said, if the world saw Jesus for who he really is, they would find him irresistible. So it's, it's something that I want to say to you that we're actually called to be a house of prayer for the nations. One time when Jesus got his blood boiled when he was in Jerusalem and he saw religion, the Jewish, his Jewish faith becoming seized by opportunism and by just kind of crass kind of merchandising and superficiality he turned the table of the money changers over when they were just you know people were selling little doves and things for the sacrifice to follow through on comply with the commandments and the laws and Jesus was like the reason he was upset was man God's house is to be a house of prayer you've made it a den of thieves and so he's saying man get first things first Get your priorities lined up. God loved the world so much that he sent him to rescue us and retrieve us from this emptiness and the futility and the aimlessness and the confusion. God's a God of peace and not confusion. 
And he came to seek and save that which is lost. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, the Bible says. What? To destroy the work of the evil one. Lucifer slithered into the garden, tempted the prototype couple, Adam and Eve. Tragically, they rebelled, sinned, and fell short of God's glory, and it perpetuated. You know, I did an Ancestry.com when I read my Bible, and it traces back to, uh-oh. I saw Sting on one of these Searching Your Roots shows on PBS, and the guy was sharing about this and that, and he said, now they went to Australia, and he went, uh-oh. And then they went, because it was a penal colony, you know, of prisoners, and it's like, and, it, and then it, he went, you ready for this? Turn the page. He goes, I don't think I am ready for this. And, you know, sure enough, you know, he had, you know, the, the rock star had some stuff in his past. So, you know, I'll just tell you, you may be a rock star, but we all have stuff in our past. But this is why the intervention of Jesus is so magnificent. Because he came to seek and save that which is lost, to destroy the work of the devil, to set up something called his church. He said, I'm going to build it and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, each one of you will be members of the body, so you're, you have a sense of belonging, you have a sense of value, you have a sense of purpose, right off the bat, right? From the beginning all the way through, there's a sense of place and purpose and bearing because we're a body. He's the head, we're the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And we're to be a house of prayer for the nations. I'm convinced that from Chesterfield Valley, which used to be called Gumbo Flats, We've been here for so long, it transitioned from Gumbo Flats that had a a prison, an airport, the smokehouse, Winties, and a couple of other businesses. And uh, we've been here for so long now that it shifted from Gumbo Flats to Chesterfield Valley. We've just been the same. We came out here when there wasn't anything. We're pioneers. And we have a destiny we're to fulfill. And the purposes of God shall surely come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. So as we go into the word right now, this is my introduction. And my my title, if if you're a note taker, is we're praying for revival in the church and harvest amongst the lost. Prayer for revival in the church and harvest amongst the lost. And I'm going to tell you, prayer is the most needed exercise of the church today especially in these last days. I I just saw where Jensen Franklin, the pastor from uh, Georgia, he had a podcast that said, the power of short prayers. Don't you want him to preach a message, the power of short sermons? (laughs) Watch your attitude. But I do have something that'll be concise, and I I do have something that has a few points here to it. And if you just give me a moment, let's trust God for that that living bread, that daily nutrition that he said he'd offer. Lord, we look to you and we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're interested in your purposes on earth, just exactly like it is in heaven. The blueprint of heaven, may it be imprinted on us. May we hit it and not miss it. And, and that we, we forgive, we, we bear no ill will, and we, we pray you give us this day our daily bread. I pray you'd be with my lips and help me to speak boldly and clearly, and may we have ears to hear. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. One man said that he that can pray can do anything. 
I'm the product of my stepdad's mother who prayed us out of the pit. She's the first lady I called. I said, Grandma, I got saved. She said, that's nice. She already did her rejoicing and shouting when she prayed for me. Can you imagine how appreciative I am, as displaced as I was, and that my stepdad's mom, my stepdad wasn't even observant or serving God, but his mom was, and his mom prayed for all of us, and we all ended up coming into the kingdom. Don't you undermine or undervalue or underestimate the power of your prayer of faith. When you pray, heaven listens. The Bible says God's ears are inclined to the prayer of the upright. And no, we don't need meaningless repetition. Yes, we do need to have an understanding of faith that when we pray, he said, you have not because you ask not. So I'm telling you, there's a prayer movement that's taking place right now that will precede this revival in the church and harvest amongst the lost. And I'm, I reckon as pastor of this church, I want to make sure uh, that we're a house of prayer. And in fact, when Pastor Patsy and I started in 1988, we started a Friday night service. And then we also started a Sunday night prayer meeting. And we're still doing that Sunday night prayer meeting and we'll continue to because that's the only really true foundation for any Christian uh, endeavor is the word of God and prayer. And so I want to just talk to you a little bit about this. Um, go to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we'll read verse 18 and on, and then we'll go to 1 Timothy 2, and I'm going to show you just how pervasive our prayers are to be, and how powerful our prayers are. Just the idea that we're invited to talk to God about stuff is super awesome. And and here's what it says in chapter 6, verse 18. It says, After the armor of God and having done all to stand, stand, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. A big strengthener, I would say included in the armor, is prayer. Breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation. Read this if you don't understand. They're using the imagery of the Roman um, outfit, the soldiers uh, that that were to say, this is what we want you to have spiritually. These are the, the, you know, the shield of faith that you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the devil and and the the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God that cuts through all the garbage of life. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. When should you pray, Pastor Jeff? 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. It says, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for what? All the saints. Can I tell you something? The body of Christ is comprised of every man, woman, and child who has submitted to God, repented of sin, and received Jesus and trusted him as Lord and Savior. That's... uh, A new birth occurs. They're born of the Spirit. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. They're God's people. It's the body of Christ, and it's beautiful, and it's holy. They're they're, they're washed by the blood of Jesus. They're cleansed of all unrighteousness. Their names have now been recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And in every, every continent, all people groups, all that these flags represent, every ethnicity, both genders, all ages, single, married, widowed, divorced, there is in 
Lapland and in Finland, Norway, Sweden, Den- Denmark. There, there is in, in England, Scotland, Ireland, the Isle of Man, Wales, all around France and Portugal and Spain and Germany and Austria, Luxembourg, all these places, all through Africa, from, the, from Cairo to Cape Town, all through Sub-Saharan, all the way down, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Russia, Mongolia, Nepal, Bhutan, the nations of the world. There are people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every dialect, Cherokee, Sioux, Navajo. Keep going. All the nations, all the people groups are all under consideration, dearly loved by God. Every family on heaven and earth derives its name from the Lord. That's why I'm not really preoccupied with my my family tree because I know I'm related to Adam and then Noah and especially Jesus. That's the thing I'm most fascinated with. That's the thing I'm most interested in. I have a friend in California. She's primarily African-American. She found out she had some Native American in her. She just texted me. She's a rocket scientist and worked on the, she worked on the, the, uh, the, the space shuttle program. She's truly a rocket scientist. And she said, Pastor Jeff, I just found out from my grandfather's side, I, I'm Ashkenazi Jew. She, and she said, I'm so thrilled to find out this mix that I am. You know, and I thought, that is cool. I mean, what, 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 is, what is she not at this point? I mean, she's like, 50, she's like Heinz 57 seasonings, you know. And we all are. There was a period of time, John Hauser was here in the last service, and, and, and Manette, she said, I'm, I'm, Cher- I'm Cherokee. She, no, no, she, she's been in heaven. But John was here, and she told me, I'm Cherokee and French. So for a while, everybody was Native American and French. I thought, well, that's cool, except I don't think I have either of those in me. But whatever, I do know I have Jesus on the inside of me. And that's a big deal. Jesus coming on the inside of a human heart changes everything. Right? It, it, it causes a sinner to become a saint. You, can, you know, can you change a, a sow's ear into a silk purse? Jesus can. Jesus can make the crooked paths straight. He can turn darkness into light. He can turn a sinner into a saint in a millisecond. And he does. And he has. And throughout the whole body of Christ, we're to be on the alert and pray for all the saints. Did you just read that? So in your prayer life... It's not extravagant. It's not overgeneralization. And we're, in fact, exhorted to specifically, in our prayer life, we're to be on the alert and pray for all the saints. Every day, I pray for all the believers on the earth. God, I, there are 8 billion people on the planet, but God knows the number of who and the number of hairs on the heads of those who have related to him and are a part of the body of Christ. He also knows those who are lost. And so here's the other verse that I want to bring to you. First Timothy chapter two. So we're to pray on behalf of all the saints. Everybody say all the saints. So when we pray for revival, this is really what it is. We're praying that God will deliver us from pressure to conform to the world, from the deception of the times. Uh, he, He wants us to pray that we won't depart from the faith. We'll stay rooted and grounded and we will remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit and but then it goes into words to pray on behalf of all men. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge 
that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of a few people. Pray on behalf of us four and no more. Well, I'm praying for my wife, Mildred, and my son, Dennis, my other son, Bernie, and my daughter, Dolores, and my other daughter, Hazel, and no more. Right? Is, or is that how we're supposed to pray? Just bless, our, bless us. I don't, I don't really want to pray for anybody else. No, no. This is, a, this is a strong admonition. Do you read what I'm reading? First of all, then, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Well, get, rid of, get ready for this. You know, John Ashcroft had been, what was he, the, was he the governor of, of Missouri? And then he became the, then he became the, uh, the uh, attorney general during the, right around 9-11. And he got up in this platform and he quoted these verses. He was intrigued that as a church would have honored God and help people up on the wall. He asked me to pray for him and I did. And he was exhorting us as a church. We're responsible to pray for those in authority over us. He said, pray for all who are in authority, for kings and all who are in authority. Did Daniel, was he exempt because he was in exile? He was part of the deportation and they took him about 75 miles east from Jerusalem and stuck him right in the middle of stinking Babylon, the secular evil. And, and he's like, did he just stand there with his arms crossed and his lips out going, I'm not praying for Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody go like this, Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't pray like him, not praying for Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not praying for Nebuchadnezzar. No, you don't hear that in the Bible. You see him on his knees. You see him becoming indispensable in his world. In a world of hatred, in a world of paganism, in a world of idolatry, in a world of darkness and, and rampant upset. And you see, he was not exempt from the responsibility to pray for someone. He didn't, even, he didn't vote for him. They didn't have a vote. The guy was a dictator and he was whack, right? I'm not praying for him because I didn't get to vote for him. No. Did Joseph go, I got stuck in a hole and I got thrown into prison and I had to go to Potiphar's house and now I'm in jail in Egypt and I'm not praying for the Pharaoh. I didn't get to vote for the Pharaoh, so I'm not going to pray for the Pharaoh. And when he became the Pharaoh, they messed with the election and I don't know I'm going to have to pray for him now. You don't see them texting each other going, no, you see the responsibility of this verse for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet. That's why the devil's trying to, I don't, you pray for this one that you like and this one that you don't like. No, we've got to look when they had to pray for Ahab and Jezebel as wicked as that moment was in the days of Elijah. Prayer is what sustained it. It's what changed it. It's what shaped it. It's what brought in the spirit and the power and the presence of God on Mount Carmel. I've had the privilege of standing on Mount Carmel in three decades, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. No, the 70s, the 90s, and the 2000s. And I've been able to stand there and over by Haifa and think about Elijah. The, the, the archaeologists and the people say this is, this is where Elijah called fire down during that period of syncretism when there was a blend of worship of Jehovah and, and, and the idolatry of Baal. And God doesn't like that stuff. And he, and he brought a revival and cleansing. God brought a revival and cleansing over and over again through the ages. 
So we're praying for a revival in the church and we're praying for a harvest amongst the lost. Why do I need revival? Why does our church need revival? Why do believers need to be revived? Reviving is something that's alive that's gotten dull or dead and deadened and needs to be revitalized. How many of you are interested? Now, like I've, had, I've done marriage enrichment for my marriage. You know, you go to talk to a financial advisor and you re-up on your decisions with the changing market. It's like, how do I change that? You go out in the, in the, in the parking lot and you trip the tree. You see the trees on the branches. These trees we planted are susceptible to uh, splitting because of the nature of the tree. So we got to keep the branches trimmed so it'll stay healthy. Right? Jesus knows this. And he's called us. He wants us to pray on behalf of all who are in authority. Now, I'm going to get back to this. Verse 2, kings and all in authority. So that we, did, did Paul go, I'm not praying for Caesar. No, Paul kept praying, I pray that I get to go to Rome. I, I've been hindered. I, I, and then he said, the brethren from Caesar's household greet you. Had he gone, I don't, that's, that's not, no, I'm not praying for those people, that's worldly, they're of the devil, I'm not praying for the Caesar, they're evil, they're, I'm not praying for them. That's precisely why we pray for them. So that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness. I, I'm a grandparent now, and I'm getting ready to have another child. There'll be four girls and a boy, and I'm just feeling like indebted to them. What are we going to pass to them? Let's pass a serious spirit of prayer. So we've got this thing covered and we break the power of the devil. We understand whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. We rebuke evil spirits directly because Jesus gave us authority and the mandate to cast out evil spirits. We believe that. It's not allegory. It's not, well, just mental illness floating out there and some sort of nebulous social thing. No, they're disembodied spirits that must be contended with biblically so we get biblical results. And we pray for those in authority because the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. We pray they live out their days and they don't drift off into mental numbness. They make good decisions for us. We better pray, God, for our, those in authority over us. So God, give them wisdom, protection, guidance, put people around them like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, rather than Haman and all the wicked people that would try to undermine society. I come against that evil spirit that's trying to come against the body of Christ. I come against that evil spirit that's trying to hinder St. Louis. I come against that darkness that's trying to divide and hinder in Jesus' name. So, you know, number one, we pray for revival because there's so much pressure to conform. Paul told the Romans, he said, be not conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And 1 John chapter 2 tells us about this whole thing about the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, now that's talking about the world system. That's talking about the, the, the world that's detached from God and its systems that are so superficial. While J.B. Phillips translated Romans 12.1, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. You know, I was a youth pastor and then I tried to stay current, but man, you gotta use 100% focus to stay current on styles and pop songs and all these trends. You know, at the, at, it's imperative though that we keep our eyes First of all, fixed on him. Making Jesus Christ and our relationship with him central. Start our day, middle of the day, end of the day, in the night, 
acknowledging him and going with him, right? And, And fanning the flames of our original fire. Oh, hallelujah. The example, we got married. It was romance, man. I got married in a fever hotter than a pepper sprout. And then we had popping out kids, boom, 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 mortgages, three-acre three lawn to mow, and, um, and, then, and then shuttling to, to gymnastics, soccer, dance class, and 50 million other things. I've got a tattoo, ATM, because I'm a dad. And so it's like, and then we, we, we go into the house, we make, you know, some, uh, let, let's make a meal, we feed everybody, discipline every hey referees now we're refereeing and then go to bed and then and then we get up and do it again and it's it's like what what happened well how did we get here and we were we we were coached by some elders hey keep the original fire going what's that mean go on a date so to your marriage and then also somebody even said you know the empty nest thing prepare so it's not just all about this, and then you're not ready. You're ill-prepared for that. Just make it all through, make it holistic through the course of your existence. I think this about the church, guys. It's not like, hey, this is exciting. It's a new church. We'll jump from one place to the other. We'll do it all. We'll do it all a little bit better. We have better lighting. We have better music. We have better programs. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's not about those things. It's about a person and a relationship of the Savior who came on the scene, born of a virgin, fulfilled every prophecy that the Jewish people had about their Messiah. He came not only to save the Jew, but also every Gentile, the non-Jews, all the nations. That's why it makes perfect sense to me that a family would move from Borneo to come to church here. And it's going to happen more and more and more. And God's doing that. He's rearranging things. He's preparing us. He's equipped us. He's getting us ready. And he wants us to be alert and pay attention. This is one of those messages. Lift up your eyes for the fields are white to harvest. And not to be people who slumber during the harvest. But to be people that are poised and not jacked up with adrenaline either. We don't need any hype here. I I have a friend who's an actor. And there's a film with these two friends of his, British actors. And they played this part where they did uh, MMA fighting. And he told me the one guy was mad at the other guy. I said, why? Because the, they had to exercise and work out. They had regular sized bodies and they had to build up because they were doing all this shirtless stuff and fighting in the cage, you know, and they had to look super buff, which they did. But one guy did steroids and the other guy did, just did it naturally. So the guy that did the steroids had these, what are these things called, deltoids? Traps. What are deltoids? He's back here. I don't know. I don't, if you don't know, if you don't have them, you don't need to know what they're called. Right? It's like, well, I don't need a trap or a delt. I don't even have them. Why do I need to know what they are? Right? But anyway, the guy would come walking in with these, what are these called? Traps. We're getting an anatomy lesson now. But I thought about it. I thought, yeah, yeah, no shortcuts. Everybody say no shortcuts. And, you know, the guy did a shortcut with steroids. The kingdom of God doesn't need hype, 
doesn't need artificiality. It doesn't need kind of kind of novel methods. It, it needs earnest devotion to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the amazing Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is available and he's poured out on all flesh. This is a wonderful thing. We have available to us the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And he is our equipper, he's our teacher, he's our guide. And in fact, number two, the reason we're preaching about revival for the church and harvest amongst the lost is due to how much deception there is in the land. The devil is a deceiver. He's called the father of lies. And for about two years, my wife was getting the, uh, and we were interceding on Sunday nights about coming against deception. And the devil is a liar. And so we are earnestly coming against his deception. Matthew 24, 4, that famous chapter about the end times. He said, take heed, see to it, that no one misleads you. We have the responsibility to stay in the word of God as the anchor and guide of our lives so we don't veer to the left or the right and we're not susceptible to the deceiver or the deception. And, uh, you know, there are people that will say in, in, in verse 5, that many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. I remember in, in the 70s, a guy told me, that what the ideology was of the Unification Church, Sun Young Moon uh, got up and said, you know, since Jesus didn't complete his work, I'm here to finish the work of Jesus Christ. No, you're not, bro, and you're not the Christ. He's the Christ. When he said it is finished, he did not say almost finished or partially done. He said, it, it, he didn't say it's doughy in the middle. He said, it is finished. Church, it is finished. There'll be no other gods before him. It's exclusively Jesus. In verse 11, it says, Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. The good news, though, is the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And as we pray, the Lord is faithful to keep us out of the ditch and deliver us from temptation in these areas. Verse 24, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. And so we have to be uh, vigilant as a people in these times. And the Lord will help us. The Lord will help us. 2 Timothy 3.13, he says it so clearly. Paul says this to Timothy. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then also, even worse yet, uh, uh, people will depart from the faith. So there's, you know, I want to be able to say and have you guys all say together, like Paul, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not just for me, but for everybody who loved his appearing. How many of you are glad Jesus came to this world? How many of you are certainly looking for the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus? I am, and I'm enthusiastic about it. But man, uh, he's coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. And in fact, that is what's happening in here right now. That's a, you can sense it. God is moving. Make no mistake about it. He's, it's happening now. We're in a, we're in a incremental adjustment period in the church and God is bringing us into uh, fullness and into readiness and into a state of where we're alert, we're watching and we're vigilant. And the, the souls, the, the people 
are coming. The people are coming. And we got to roll the red carpet out to them. And what you win them with, you keep them with. So the Holy Spirit prompted me, downplay all your, all your momentum. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. This is not happening. You're just going to just get it down to basics. No steroids. No hype. I'm going to be the head of the church, and I'm going to do my thing, and it's going to be powerful. And I'm excited about it because then he gets all the glory. Jesus will get all the credit. We'll cast all our crowns at his feet. Hey, this was you, man. This was not gimmicks and methodology on our end. You'll certainly show us what to do as individuals. You have to understand, as an individual, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are loved by God. You're the object of it. You're the apple of his eye. You're the object of his affection. Jeremiah 1.5 wasn't just for Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That includes Daniel and Paul and certainly all the different saints of the Bible. But you know what? Also bumping into the New Testament church in the end times. That pertains to each one of us. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the gifts he set in motion in your life. He knows you're down sitting and you're uprising. He knows your hardships. He knows your trials. And he loves you and his cares about you. He also knows he'll use it and work it to cause maturity and development. How many of you are better off than you were before? How many of you are growing in, God, in the direction of, of development and, and growth? Come on, raise your hand because you are. The fact that you're here marks a notable achievement that you have fought the good fight of faith and God has been merciful to you and me and us and here we are by the grace of God. Who can say, I have a testimony, Pastor Jeff. I don't know how to put it into words, but I'm still here. That's a good testimony. Say, I'm still here. So, Here's a point why we should pray about harvest amongst the lost and revival in the church. Because of the concern for the departing from the faith. I remember Lester Summerall, he preached, and he said uh, a lot of his contemporaries peeled off. Billy Graham, he said he started in the 50, 40s with a guy that was more skilled at communication than he was. You can imagine that. And, but yet the guy peeled off into intellectualism and coldness and got off and, and Billy, it was to Billy's sorrow. He said the guy was such a amazing. The, the head of our Bible school, he thought, oh, the equippers that were lost. The one that thought he was Elijah and died in a car wreck. The other one that peeled off into scandal, all this stuff. And there were so few uh, uh, that were their fathers. There are many tutors, but there are not many fathers. Right now there's a clamoring to fill in the gaps and be the voice. Wolves that have a taste to, to draw disciples to themselves. False prophets are articulating things that are basically just another form of steroids. And, and so we've got to understand, Lord God, it's got to be you, God. We've got to have, we need guidance from your word and leadership from the Holy Spirit. Number four, there's so much desensitization right now. Pink Floyd has a song called Comfortably Numb. And the founder, one of the founding members, in fact, Sid Barrett was one of the more prominent of the band, had mental problems. Tragically, he took some hallucinogenic drugs and it pushed him over the edge. And they, they, they were so sad, they wrote songs about him, like Shine On Something Diamond or something. But this comfortably numb, I don't want I'm on a, I'm on a cause to end zombification in my lifetime. 
I, I don't want to see people just walking around mouth breathing on their phone, not paying any attention. And I especially and particularly am concerned about the body of Christ that, that, that we are not desensitized to our times. We're not desensitized. And that, that what I mean is since the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you and me and us into all the truth. He will show us things to come. God's given us a prophetic heads up. He's getting us ready. And there's a readiness that's happening in here. I sense it. You've come to be encouraged. You've come to hear the word. You've come to be comforted. You've come to be corrected. We, we're being admonished right now. The Holy Spirit is saying something to us. He wants us to be a house of prayer. We're believing God for souls to come into the kingdom. I think it's notable that this man and woman came on Friday night. He's listening online while he's driving and working and then she comes and now we're having this conversation. She's in, coming into the kingdom, coming into the understanding of who Jesus is, coming into the new birth. And if, she, if they haven't yet, they'll pray. They can pray and receive that prayer of salvation. Confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in their heart, God raised them from the dead. You shall be saved. And then we as a local church, we lift our voices in one accord. We say, Heavenly Father, we pray for harvest amongst the lost. We pray for revival in the church. We pray for an awakening. We bind deception. I heard a pastor say, God shut down the circus and ran the clowns out of the church. Jeff Citron right here said to my daughter that God cut, he's cutting the dead branches so we will be a stronger tree. This is certainly what's happening right now. Certainly what's happening right now. And it's exciting, hallelujah. I can tell by the music that I'm out of time, hallelujah. Everybody say value of short prayers value of short services. Let's stand up on our feet. I think you ought to give yourself a standing ovation for still being at it. Can I hear some? Come on. Now I think you ought to shift it. Give Jesus the praise for sustaining you. Lift up your hands. Say this with me. I thank God I'm still in the race. Running with endurance. That particular thing God has mapped out for me. I'm believing for America to be saved. I'm believing for a harvest of souls. For a revival amongst the saved. Put your hands on your belly. Lord, I pray for a defibrillator. These hands will become defibrillator paddles. And I pray for a supernatural surge of supernatural strength from a supernatural God. Say this with me. God's at work in me. I submit to him. I repent of everything I can repent of. I stay on the sunny side of things. I forgive my enemies. I bear no ill will. I refuse to be bitter. And I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. With God, all things are possible. He orders my steps. He is with my mouth. He shows me what to speak. 
I'm alert. I'm sensitive. I know the master's voice. I want more of him functioning in my life, in my decisions, in my household, at my job, in my church, in my community, in this nation. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you guys.